Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, listeners of all different shapes and sizes, welcome back to another episode of the Keystone Chronicles podcast, the podcast where we put Pennsylvania outdoorsmen on the spotlight. And this week we have a great guest and honestly, I think one of the top guys that you can follow here on the social media platforms if you're in Pennsylvania and you want to see some hunting and fishing action Gage Golvis, uh, he also runs the Hardwoods Hunting TV page and YouTube channel. Guys, he's a straight killer, and he, he's one of the hard way guys, if you will. You know, you're going to see him do a lot of trad archery stuff. You're going to see him with a fly rod. He's uh, just one of them guys that, that you want to follow, and, and he, he really has an exciting journey and a lot of adventures, man. So in the episode, we go over a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, he's one of those guys that you can't really just put in a corner and say, hey, we just want to talk about this, right? Because he just has his toes in so many different waters here. and um, He is a younger guy, but he's very well accomplished, and he is surrounded by a lot of people that, that know what they're doing also. So don't be afraid to reach out to Gage, man. The conversation's great. We look forward to having something later on in the year um, with some with him and some other guests in person. And I uh, think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. We just go over his season in review and, and throw in a couple stories here and there. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. Love the support. Remember to go like, comment, and subscribe for the show. does wonders for everything on my end. Thank you so much. Please enjoy, and God bless. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Keystone Chronicles podcast. Guys, this one has been a long time coming. I've been following this gentleman's journey for a long time. Love the adventures that he goes on. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Gage Galvis, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. It's uh, been looking forward to this one for a little while. I mean, uh, to me, if you want to check out some PA hunters and want to see some people on some really cool journeys, man, you got to be, you got to be up there. And I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this show will agree, man. Um, we, I love watching you kill things and have cool adventures and you're out there living it, man, you know? So as we get started here, man, who are you? Where are you from? How about sell yourself a little bit here for us? All right. Um, I'm Gage Galvis. I'm 22 years old. I'm from Dubois, Pennsylvania, which if you don't know where that is, it's like the north central part. Um, my dad's had me out in the woods since I was about six months old. I, he said uh, I was six months old when I saw my first gobbler called in. So <laughs> I've been out there since uh, I was still in diapers. But uh, yeah, I, just, I love hunting. I love fly fishing. And if there's something you can hunt or fish in Pennsylvania, I'm more than likely going after it. I um. I got into filming when I was about 15 years old and never really looked. Sometimes it can be a pain, but uh, when it does come all together, it's a lot of fun. And I have a YouTube channel called Hardwoods Hunting TV. I've been posting on there for about seven years now, and I think I have about 150 videos. So if you ever get bored sometime and want to entertain yourself, there's some, there's some good ones, and there's some uh, just thrown together videos. Yeah, if anyone films, they know how that goes. But uh, I love the love to hunt with the traditional bow. I got into the recurve when I was 15. And uh, once I got into that, the first year I did it, I got a buck and I never looked back there either. I just, I love challenging my, 
and um, doing everything the hardest way possible. So uh, self-filming, hunting with a recurve and fly fishing seems to be the best way I can challenge myself, and I absolutely love it. I am right behind you, man. Um, the trad stuff is, is something I get more and more intrigued with every year, and I'm sure uh, <clears throat> it'll be one of those two feet forward things coming soon. But, you know, as as your year was so good, man, and, and many others before that, we were talking before we come on, and I was like, shit, man, I – I don't know what the hell we're going to talk about with you because you got it going on on all angles and it's really hard to keep it on one thing. So for the 2023 year, man, tell me how it started. You know, turkey season come around. Um, you know, we don't really have to do any second season, and, you know, unless you want to talk flintlock or whatever. But, uh, you know, how, how did 23 begin for you, man? Where were you at? What were you doing? And, and let's let's hear about some success or even some failures. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on it real quick. At the very beginning of 2023, my best friend got a beagle. So we started getting into chasing rabbits with mm-hmm. beagles, and that was a blast, and we learned a lot really quick. Um, he had a dog. It was an adult dog that he got from someone that just couldn't keep ca- or take care of it anymore. Yep. So uh, it wasn't like we had a nice puppy to break in and stuff. It was already a dog with bad habits, and uh, the first time we took it out, it chased bunnies, but it took us about an hour and a half just to get the dog back in to take it to get to the truck. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we started doing that, and that was just uh, something different I've never done. I mean, my whole life, me and my dad, we've always been really diehard hunters. We've always really pounded it. But it was, ne- it was always just mostly like uh, deer and turkey, obviously. Then we do some small game stuff, but we never really – as I'm getting older here, I just want to – and if I can hunt it, I want to do it, and I want to be good at it. So we dove head over heels into rabbit hunting there and we trained the dog and – we got into it late. We, we did it for about one month and the season ended. And that one month, that dog really advanced. And but that was just a blast. And that's how it started. So we got a couple of rabbits to start off the year. And then that took us into March. And then March starts. And that's whenever I start fishing. Mm-hmm. And uh, up north, I have a camp, a camper in Driftwood. And then I have a camp in Crossworks, mm-hmm. uh, right on Kettle Creek there. And, uh, I'm up there pretty much every weekend fly fishing in the early spring and unless it's turkey season then. And you know how that goes. Fishing starts and you just go and you fish and have a good time at camp with buddies. Yeah. But uh <clears throat> then last year, around the middle of April, we started this was my did for myself and we went down to Virginia. We w- went down there the last two years in a row. And the first year we went down, we hunted just public land and we ran into a lot of guys, but the, and uh, down there in Virginia, you can get by a um, three-day license. So we just buy the three-day license for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. And um, you know, being in school and stuff, that's all the more time I could go down. So first, we went down. And the second day, we called him a big gobbler, and he got to about fifty yards. And there was guys all around us calling stuff, and somehow it just come into our setup. We kind of snuck, we snuck in up nice and close, and. Right when we set up, we had some guys walking behind us calling, which that might have helped us too because they were way behind us calling even to make some of the hens farther away. Yeah. But uh, popped out about 50 yards, and I didn't put a decoy out because I was nervous because down in Virginia, you can use uh, rifles. You can use up to a 223 to hunt turkey. And I was like, the last thing I want to do is get shot. <laughs> so I usually, I usually put out a decoy. I mean, kind of getting away from it, especially in Pennsylvania. I haven't put out a decoy in a few years just because, like I said, I like to challenge myself. So try to do like public land, hardwoods, no decoy. But uh, I did put a decoy out there just for the safety factor, and Gobbler popped out about 50 yards, and uh, I had a 410, so needs to say 50 yards is a bit too far, and Gobbler ended up slipping away from us. So then last year, 
talked to a buddy from a hometown and here his family owns some land down in the southern part of Virginia. So I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. And I'm like, so me and my buddy went down the year before and then my other buddy had the land. We all went down, three of us. And uh, I'm like, this should be awesome. You know, a nice, nice good chunk of po- or private land of Virginia. And um, got down there the first day. And it was really, the weather was really crappy. It was really windy and rainy. We heard one gobbler and we ended up seeing it. And there was a big river valley there and it ended up flying across the river that day. And we're like, man, I was like, well, at least we know there's a gobbler here and there's enough land, there should be more birds. So the next morning we went there and right at daybreak, there was birds gobbling all over the place. It was a nice, humid, warm morning, calm. And oh my goodness, the birds down there was just unbelievable. It's like a, my dad and grandpa and cousins always talk about how turkey hunting in Pennsylvania in the 90s was insane. Pretty much like every rich top you call off of, you could hear a gobble. Right. And that's how it was down there. It was phenomenal. So that first day, we sat down by the river. There's a big cliff, probably a 300-foot cliff across from us. And there was, some, there was three birds who stood right on the point of that cliff. And I just made some soft tree yelps and stuff. So it made it sound like there was a hen down there roosted. And they pitched from the top of that cliff, and they flew right across the river, right down in, landed about, the first one landed about five yards from me. And we have it on video, and it's just an absolutely gorgeous video. It was unbelievable, one of the coolest things I've seen hunting. And uh, ended up being uh, three jakes flew down. And I gave him some time just to make sure it wasn't a gobbler in the area. And uh, they ended up coming to my right, so I swung real slow to my right and picked out the closest one and shot it. But I usually, I don't, like in Pennsylvania, being my home state, I would never shoot a jake, but for that being my first out-of-state male turkey i didn't really care i just wanted to get it under my belt right right i feel so, like um, you know we did that i got that jake i was right off the bat about 6 15 in the morning and we, i had my two buddies with me down there i'm like well, let's let's keep going and around eight o'clock we shook up two more gobblers across the river i'm like let's just set up here and see what happens and uh i sat behind them about 15 yards and i just did some i, I, did, some real, I did like some real aggressive calling just making it known i was there and then i shut up and within 15 minutes, I heard a putt and I looked up. Two gobblers standing right by me. I flew across the river and come right up that steep hill. And here, my buddy Charlie, he shot a real nice gobbler. It was a big gobbler, had like an inch and quarter spurs, Ooh. about a 10 beard. He shot it. So by the second day, by 8 30, we had two gobblers down. Nice. And then uh, the next morning in Virginia, it was the last day we could hunt there. And it was, we thought the se- second day was good. You heard it probably about six to eight birds the last morning i don't know what it was about it must be the pressure or something or i don't know but even like the birds chirping and the crows calling was so loud it almost hurt your ears like it's hard to describe it's almost like a sensory overload of how loud all nature was that morning wow. but we heard about gobblers and from one tree we ended up calling in four the first two got by us so they came in solo both of them and we just couldn't get a shot and then two came in together and my buddy one came, one was about 10 yards and one was behind it about 25 i let my buddy shoot first because he was the last one to not get a bird and he shot and i popped up and shot the second one and missed it clean but we ended up getting three birds in three days down there so that was the hunting for 2023 and it was quite a way to get the year rolling yeah i would say so man I, that'll spoil you real quick <laughs> yeah it was uh i was like man hopefully i get one in pennsylvania because i already was pretty content with that it was just a great start. There's like nothing I'd ever witnessed. I know when I was younger, cause I could start hunting when I was about, when I was six was the first year I could hunt. I got a gobbler that year. Mm-hmm. And like the first three years of hunting turkeys, it just seemed like we were always working birds. And I know in the last three years or so, 
it's it's not a guaranteed hair gobbler every day anymore no no man it's definitely not you know what uh, uh, turkey season is is it isn't what it used to be when i was growing up i can tell you that like it it's it's a lot of fun and it's still really good in pennsylvania you know and i i attest it probably to because of how it, how late it comes in and it probably mm-hmm. really is what saves a lot of our birds but um yeah man i can remember growing up when i was younger and like dude you would call it just be turkeys everywhere like yeah that's what my dad and stuff they talk about the 90s turkey hunting his friends he said it was just like he said it's how it was down how i was in virginia just uh unbelievable yeah and like you said not that it's bad i mean turkey hunting pennsylvania is still very good and there's still lots of no and it is and i think the turkeys were definitely down they've come down but i see i'm seeing a pretty steady rise within the last two years yeah yeah it it'll it'll just continue probably to to rise back up because i i will say that this year i did i did see um a lot of polyps and and which was which was really nice and really cool and it's been a couple years since i've seen as many as i did and I know mm-hmm. um, right now the game commission they have something going on where you, you you can report where you're seeing a bunch of them at, and um, I don't know what they're doing with all that data, but I know that there is a program right now for that. Yeah, I have I've read into that program before a little yep. bit. Yep, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, our mm-hmm. our state still seems to try to do a good job. I am not a biologist, but I do think you know, and I'd, I'd like to know it, this this could be a bad take. I don't know, but we do do a lot of cutting um you know uh clear cutting and and whatnot for improvements on game lands and and other areas and i just wonder if sometimes all that overgrowth you know them birds get in there if if a lot of predation you know goes on then you know what i'm saying because it, uh-huh. you know, that would definitely make sense i could i could get behind that yeah for sure. you know they kind of have a hard time getting up out of that you know and then uh you, geez nowadays it's nothing for your you go out and hear guys shot three or four coyotes and got you got guys killing bobcats all over the place and mm-hmm. um, you got uh uh fishers around now you know when i was growing up we didn't have no freaking fishers i can tell you that <laughs> yeah um and then you know now which i'd like to look into and see what's going on but i i'd like to know if the if the pine martin will have anything to to do with any predation of of uh of turkeys, you know, because I, I can't imagine they're not egg suckers, but I could be wrong. I don't know much about yeah. them. Um, moving forward, I, I think that uh, uh, the show is going to have somebody who's a little more educated come on and talk about that. Yeah, topic. that'd be good. I, I, um, I'm almost paused. I read something not too long ago that they uh, declined the Pine Martin reintroduction. Yeah, it was something, some sort of setback they had, but I do believe that they were able to release some in one of the states somewhere. Yeah, I sure hope they never do that in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Like you said, there's enough predators here, and there's enough. Yeah, I'd rather see the the prey do better than the predators. Yeah, um, you know, there's lots of things that they have. I, I, if it's up to me, you know, as many hawks as I see, goodness gracious, I, I see so many hawks. I don't know. I mean, I know there's not a season on them, and they're protected. But sometimes I wonder, like, where, you know, who, who's making that call? Because I see, goodness gracious, uh, so many of them. I see just as many crows sometimes as I do hawks. Uh-huh. I was actually just talking to this with a buddy about the, the increase I've seen eagles since I've been a kid. Mm. You know, growing up, I going up to like up in Potter County all the time. I'm following the cricks the whole way up, right. driving along away, and you know, you'd see an eagle here and there, and it's always very cool. Mm-hmm. I haven't went up north without seeing an eagle in probably five years. Every single trip, I see at least one, mm-hmm. and we just saw two different ones 
back down at home last week shed hunting. So like, I'm sure. I mean, that's a heck of a predator there with the six foot wingspan. Oh my goodness, stuff they kill. Oh, yeah. like, I think that they're really having an impact on animals as well because like I've seen uh, like eagle nest with a fawn in the limb before. Yeah, that's pretty wild, man. But yeah, I could, I could easily see how they could do it. You know, I mean, they're they are one hell of a predator. It's yes, they are. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's all part of that ecosystem and, uh, you just got to watch how much you play with it. You know, you, you go down the road of talking about the, the wolves being released out West and shit. And, um, you know, holy heck, I, that, that is one alpha predator there. And <laughs> yeah, I could be yeah, I mean, holy heck they're they are a killing machine. Um, you know, you take a, a coyote and make them f- four times bigger than what they are and make them six times smarter than what a coyote is. And <laughs> that, then you got a wolf, you know? Uh-huh. So, Absolutely. but rolling it back in a little bit. Um, you know, I, I know that, uh, that you, that you are a big Turkey guy, man. And, um, you, you come from a, a long line of Turkey hunters and do you, um, do you want to give any shout outs to anybody that you grew up with that, that introduced you and brought you up? Like, um, was it was it dad? Was it mom? Was it family members uh, that that showed you the ropes for the outdoors? And just want to talk about that real quick. Yeah, I can do that. Um, it's uh, my dad for sure. My dad has had me out in the woods. Like I said, I was. He said because I saw my fa- first gobbler called in when I was six months old. That's awesome. He said I was. Uh, he, he said I uh, went out for the one day and he had, had me one of those backpack carriers. <laughs> yeah. and he called the gobbler and he got back to the truck and thought he was all sweaty. And here I just pissed all over his back. <laughs> That's funny, man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my grandpa, he's my actually my grandpa is the only person I know who got a gobbler in the very first Pennsylvania spring turkey season uh-huh. and the fiftieth spring turkey season in Pennsylvania. That's awesome, man. That is really cool. But he's been in it since uh yeah since the first year they have had it. But um also I so my grandpa and Denny Gobbler are first cousins uh-huh. and uh, they used to back in the day they would uh go to a guy his name was bob potash i believe uh-huh. he lived over in brockway at a he called his house the turkey track lodge yeah so he had he was a, apparently he was absolutely obsessed with turkey hunting he got pet turkeys and they would run a microphone into the cage and then run the microphone back into the house and they would sit there in the house and listen to turkey calls and drink beer uh-huh. and uh i guess he, the one pet turkey they had they call him chuck chuck and they would walk it around like a dog. They take it out <laughs> in the woods and walk right beside them and stuff. And the one interesting story about that is one time they were walking Chuck Chuck, and they said this. My grandpa said it disappeared. They didn't know where it went. They're like, where the hell did where to go? And they're like Westland Fort and stuff. And next thing you know, they're looking a skunk come sneaking through. And as soon as the skunk the skunk left, here comes Chuck Chuck out of nowhere. But uh, yeah, he has some really interesting stories about over learning how they turkey hunt and calling, that how they'd be building turkey calls and like grandpa's kitchen my grandpa and denny were building turkey calls using milk cartons and uh the latex from condoms wow yeah that's, that's how they got their start into making the old golf skull yeah that is awesome man that is that is so cool to hear and you know i mean that's pennsylvania heritage core <laughs> you know yeah, just get it done any way that you can and uh like you said the heritage is so strong it's it's awesome um but so your Pennsylvania season, man, um, how, how was it uh, for Turkey? It was good. It was uh, definitely one of the better seasons I had. And I've been very fortunate the last um, 
since I went or I you sorry, my senior year our senior year of high school was a COVID year. Mm-hmm. So we got out of school in like March and had all the spring off. And then w- the way my school schedule works is our finals like the f- last week of April, first week of May. So for the last four turkey seasons, I've had every single day to hunt, and I made a point to not get a job in that time. Mm-hmm. Like I always started my summer job June first. I take all of May off so I can hunt turkey. So in the last four years, I've only missed five days, and that's all because I think I think two I had stuff going on, and three I just decided it was, I think it was raining almost all those days. But I've pretty much not missed a day for four years. Yeah. But uh, last season was no different. This guy kept pounding in the first day and the night before I went out and there's a bench I hunt and there's just always turkeys there. It's just a way that's a nice setup down the bombs and a little Creek. There's a bunch of points that come together. I hunt the one bench I have access to. I access it to like a piece of private and then it, the bench is actually down to public. And uh, so I went there the night before I'm like, I'm just going to go here and listen. And I sat there for about half an hour. You know, I'm just kind of sitting there on my phone looking around. I saw it about an hour till dark. And uh, I look to my right and I catch movement. Doesn't hear it come a big, lonely, long beard. Walks right by me 30 yards. I watched him feed right down this bench the whole way for about 45 minutes. Right before light, he took, he stopped and looked around. And he ran as fast as he could. I'm like, oh, how do I, how do he see me? Like, I spooked him. And he flew up into a tree right above him. I watched him roost. I'm like, this is looking pretty good for the morning. But I came back in the morning. I got in there early. I, I, it was probably close to two hours for sunrise. And uh, so I'm waiting for him to gobble, and I set up a little bit to the left of him. Like I set up, I tried setting up right where he ran up, because I figured that's where he'd fly down to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't call at all. I was just going, I'm like, he's going to land on this bench where he fed. So, it seems like every time I think something's going to happen, it never does. <laughs> so there's some gobblers across the hollow goblin. There's a couple together. And this bird never gobbles. So I'm like, I must have spooked him coming in the dark. I'm like kicking myself. I'm like, man, what should I do? Like, it's still, it's only 6.15. Like, give it some time. Like, just be patient. And uh, right around 6.15, I caught, I caught a glimpse of him. He pitched down, went down. He flew down into the bottom of the hollow. I'm like, shoot. I'm like, yeah, I definitely spooked him then. So I just started, uh, I called it real soft. And then he just instantly, pow. I'm like, well, that's interesting. I'm like, I wonder why I never gobbled on the roost. And I'm guessing the other, probably a group of gobblers were more dominant than his, with him being by himself. Uh-huh. But uh, I called a few times real soft, and he, he hammered every time. And within about five minutes, I looked, and here I seen that white head peeking over that bench. He's coming in real slow and half-strut. And I actually I got it. It was the first, probably the best self-film I ever got. And you can see he comes up, and uh, he walks right down the bench and half-strut the whole way. He gives me a nice, strong gobble, like 40 yards. And he got to about 32 yards, and he poked his neck up because he got to where I was been calling from. He knew he was either – like he should have saw something. So he poked his neck neck up real slow, and I peeked through the scope, and it was like real rainy on the first day in the 2023 season. It was real rainy and humid, like. Uh-huh. And uh, I have a four power Leopold scope in my 410. I peeked through that scope, and wasn't it foggy? I could barely see. Oh, man. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> oh, man. And I just, it actually, it actually, because I was so worked up, I'd have rushed a shot for sure. I might have still made it, but I get so worked up sometimes. And uh, I just, it helped me actually focused. I had to really like focus through that fog and the scope and I put it on and squeezed off and he rolled over and didn't even flop. So I was tagged out the first day at six nineteen in the morning. Nice. <laughs> Talk about in and out, man. Yeah, it was uh the best on the limb hunt I've one of the best on the limb hunts I've ever had. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Now, you know, I've talked to a lot of turkey hunters, and I am myself not the best turkey hunters. I, I, I like to go, and I like to spend a lot of time in the woods, and here and there, you know, I'll get lucky. But um, it, when you set up on birds and as many birds as you killed, how often do you shoot them going coming towards you uphill? They're coming from downhill, uphill to you, versus you being down below them and they come down to you. Um. I don't know if I've ever called a bird downhill to me, to be honest. I've, uh, I always make it a point to set up above them. Like I've very few times I've ever sat down below them, but almost every time they're above you, it never, never works out too good. Honestly, I'll, I'll go out of my way to get above that bird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, I shot a bird one time up North in the the Hammersley wild area, which is enormous and it's big, big country. Right. And, uh, I heard him gobble, and he was just slightly above me, but I had to do a, about a 200-yard sprint as fast as I could up the hill just to try to get on the same level as him, and it worked out. He'd come right down that same same pattern, the same like height I was up the hill. But, uh, yeah, I, I think if I'd have stayed where I was when I first heard him, he might have stayed up above me because he's up there so big and he's the whole way down to the creek bottoms. Right. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll make it a point to try to get above them. And a lot of time whenever I set out to turkey hunt, I have a – because I've been hunting some spots. Like, when I go to a new spot, you never know. But most spots I've been hunting for years. And I almost hunt exclusively public land for turkeys in the spring. And uh, so I know I go to this ridge call, uh, bounce from ridge to ridge. So I'm always above them. Or if I hear them on the top, we're the same altitude. Yeah. It's it's funny, man. That I get that same answer from, you know, lots of different people. And I just, I feel like that's one thing, like, a lot of turkey hunters don't talk about, like, if you can, and from what I know, you know, I always try to do the same is set up above them, make them come up the hill to you. And then obviously, like you were saying, if you can find a real nice bench, then you're, you know, you're in the best position you can be. There's a reason, Absolutely. there's a reason why they call it a military crest. So <laughs> um, yeah, those turkeys, they come up and they'll poke their head up every time they call one over, they'll poke their head up real quick first and see what they see. Then they commit. Yeah. They never just come running up over the hill. They, I think they like that for the security. And I've also noticed that uh, gobblers seem to like real steep side hills. And I think it's because they can fly. If they get into danger, they can just open their wings and pitch off. They don't have to fly, run. They just open their wings and glide and they're gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've uh, I always found gobblers tend to be on real nice steep side hills. Yep. Same, man. Same. Seen the same things. Um. As far as, you know, you, you use a 410, and um, what do you, you use like a TSS, or what's the... Yeah, I use the Federal Premium TSS 9 shot. Okay, and that's a 3-inch? Yep. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. That That is a, like a newer thing that I, I've seen a lot of people get into, is using a single-shot 410, and um, I actually went and I had to get one for myself, you know. <laughs> I have an older one here, but it's, it's, uh, it's the first gun that my dad ever bought me. It's a 410... Uh, single shot break doesn't even have a hammer it's hammerless Uh, (laughs) that's was was so little you know it's so hard to pull a hammer back or he was afraid you know i'd get halfway back and then let one rip so Mm -hmm. um yeah it is it's a really good youth gun it's not a youth gun but it's it's very good for youth and uh and we ended up getting one of those uh uh, the rossi 410 guns yep um it's nice gun man it's really cool um that three inch thing the only thing is holy heck man the 410 stuff is it's expensive for them little bullets. Oh my! <laughs> it's it, the tungsten shots expensive in general. Right. I can, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I can only justify buying it for turkey season. I can't justify buying it for anything else. Right. Yeah, I feel that, man. 
for sure. So, um, so turkey season ends, and then um, you know, summer kind of comes around. And I know you're fishing. Um, that's a gimme. I know you're a big fly guy. Um, man, I, I could, I could, me and you could chop it up about fishing, but uh, we'll move right into you guys. I, I think I've seen you playing around with some snakes. Is that something you're into? Yeah, we got into that two years ago, and it's uh surprisingly one of my favorite things to hunt in pennsylvania that's now cool that is cool yep um, we uh yeah we i don't even know why i got into it i've never my whole life i grew up i i can't stand every time i see a snake i get the heebie-jeebies even now to see like a gardener snake so they're out i get the heebie-jeebies but something about a rattlesnake just gets my gets me going it's, it's just uh the adrenaline is so much it's so fun yeah but uh yeah we got into that two years ago i just i think i just Felt like I went, I don't know, I felt rebellious or what. But I'm like, I'm going to go chasing rattlesnakes, you know? <laughs> like, how cool would that be? <laughs> uh, you know, living on the edge. <laughs> the, first year, the first year we got into it, and we were so scared shitless. We barely ever got out of the car. We pretty much only road cruised. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm trying to think. We found, we found one on the road, and then we found two dead ones. And the last day of the season, I had a buddy around my camp. He knew of a den. So we went to this den. And we ended up catching a, our first one we ever caught. It was a 51-inch uh, black male. Uh-huh. And if you know anything about rattlesnakes, 50 inches is like that mark to hit. That's like that, like that Pope and Young market for deer. Mm-hmm. Yep. 50 inches is uh, the hit mark to hit. And it was 51. That's the first one we ever caught and tagged. So we were like, pumped up. And then we actually, so we kept it and we ate it. Uh-huh. And surprisingly enough, rattlesnake is very, very, it tastes very, very good, uh-huh. but it has the consistency of almost like bubble gum. Huh. It's uh, it's real chewy. I know when we cooked it up, we had a few celebratory beers, which definitely helped it go down. Right. So I don't know how it would be if you were stone cold sober. <laughs> right, man. But you know how many people get to see that they say they ate rattlesnake? I, I have been fortunate enough to be invited to um, a game feed or two and, and, and had it also myself. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, there, that is such a cool thing we have in our state and, you know, even the area you live in, you're, you're in a good area. You're in a really good area mm-hmm. for them. Even I am too. Uh, if I go just a little bit North of where I am and actually even not far in my backyard, there's a, there's a couple dens I know of, of them, but, um, that's cool. Yeah. Super cool creature. I usually leave them alone. I like taking pictures of them. I don't really like to pick them up, but yeah, um, I know getting into it. I'm actually I'm actually very happy I got into it because the education I've taken from like where they live, how they act, how to avoid them to not get bit while you're out there turkey hunting in the spring on a warm day. Right. They, um, they're out of all the snakes I've handled because, you know, you're out there looking for them, you end up finding other snakes. Rattlesnakes are by far the kindest of them all. They don't, you pick up a rattlesnake and they bust it. You, once in a while you get one that strikes the stick and stuff. Right. But uh, for the most part, you pick them up, they buzz. As soon as you set them back down, they stop buzzing, and they just slither back to the cover. Whereas you, if you pick up, like, a gardener snake or something, my God, it's twisting, turning, striking. They're, yeah, they're, they're just nasty. But the rattlesnake's actually pretty, pretty calm snake. Yeah. And uh, you'd almost, you have to get really unlucky to get bit by one while hunting. You have to step on one or either, either that or uh, just be screwing around with it like I am when I'm out there handling them. But you have to be just get unlucky, I think. If you're just cautious and take your time, you should never really get bit. Yeah, they are um, pretty pretty docile when it comes to it. I know I've I've seen plenty of them, and they they're way more afraid of you than you you should be for them. No, oh, absolutely. Um, 
but uh, so you know that season kind of wraps up man and then what what do you jump into you jump into some small game or what what do you do what are you doing going into deer season yeah so snake season always ends like i think the last day of july so you got that month of august and that's when i start really ramping up the 3d shoots you know i'm always i'm always fishing but uh that's when i really start picking up the bow and i'm really shooting even i we start shooting pretty early we'll probably start going to 3ds here next next month uh-huh. but uh 3d we start doing a lot we do a lot of 3d shoot shooting the recurves it's a lot of fun practice but uh then uh september comes around i'm a really big squirrel hunter i love hunting squirrel and uh i know when they brought i've when i was younger they always had the youth day to come in a week before which is like the second saturday of october mm-hmm. and yep. we i don't know growing up i was like man i wish they'd bring in squirrel in like september you know give them this month to hunt before deer season and they did it. a couple of years that they had it i did not have much success in september it was so thick and there was so much feed that they didn't like to come down the ground so you just weren't seeing the squirrels and then uh, after hunting for a couple of years we kind of fine-tuned it and we really discovered if you just really focus on hickory trees and just be patient and in, in the early season, you can really pound them. The last two years, or this past year wasn't that great, but the year before we really pounded them in September, me and my dad. But I, I love hunting squirrels. I love chasing black squirrels. I'm a, I've shot nine black squirrels in PA now and I've been chasing that 10th one. It's been eluding me. I, I know of about six different ones, different spots and just being out of school, I haven't made the time to go after and chase them. But, uh, yeah, I'd be getting the squirrel hunt in September, and now I'm starting to dive in some waterfowl. So this year, I didn't really hunt much geese, but I was starting to scout spots for mostly like next year. You know, just dabbling my toe in. Yeah, but if tell you right now, if you're gonna get into birds, <laughs> if you're gonna get into fowl hunting. You better get your wallet out. <laughs> That's why we didn't really get into it. Cause I'm, a, I'm a broke college student. <laughs> yeah, <know>? right. <laughs> you know, I need. Need to save my, a couple of dollars for the bar, you know. Oh my goodness, man! <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to that. You know, I'm trying. I was like, with hunting, I don't like to half-ass it. I like to do it right and get the yeah. best of the best with all my equipment. Because wow. in the time when it comes down to it, it's gonna screw you. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how I feel with everything. So I didn't want to buy some like cheap decoys and a cheap blind and stuff. So I just kind of spent this year doing the scouting part and trying to get some spots for next year. And I found a couple of spots I think will turn out. So we'll see how it goes. Well, I mean, the biggest thing. You know, and I agree with you on that one is is when you spend as much time and and, and are as invested into what we do as as guys like us are there. There is no, you know, you you need to step up and and get the good stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you can't get it done without it, but the fact is sometimes it it works out a little better if you have that stuff, you know. Yeah, I I have to be around the best of the best just for my own confidence sake of it. Like my each one of my arrows is probably. 40 45 dollars and i have a quiver full of five of them so my goodness <laughs> yeah yeah that's a lot brother that is a lot hey i guess you don't miss though right i mean that's that's what you got to do you got <laughs> <laughs> yeah aim small miss small but it cost you it cost you a lot of sleep and some money huh absolutely so um but you know like you were saying man uh that that archery season comes around and uh, i mean i don't know about you but I know for me, it's like I had fun and I had all this fun and, and it's like a lock in, you know, it's, 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 it's like, I got to get deer on the ground, but you know, how, how did your deer season go this year here in Pennsylvania? Archer was good. It was good. I, uh, I saw a couple of nice bucks. I never really got the opportunity to get a good shot off 
but it was good. I uh, started out quick. The first day, first morning, I had I was hunting a mock scrape I made, mm-hmm. and then uh, I was hunting. I had a little food plot there too. I uh, had a company called Solu Cow reach out to me, and they wanted, they wanted to use their line to plant stuff, and it worked out really great for a little throw and grow plot. But I put a mock scrape this morning. Had a nice little six point and a spike come right by, and I had gotten good film of them. And then about 20 minutes later, I got a call from my dad. He said he hit a nice 10 point, so went and helped him track it. And here, my dad was tagged out first morning at 7:30 on a but 110, 115 inch 10 point. Nice man. Which yeah. for me and him was a quick start, and I escaped. I could throughout school. The you know, school kind of holds me back for archery, and mm-hmm. like you said, once archery hits, I pretty much drop everything. Like, yeah, I would. Archery is definitely not my favorite because of how wrapped up you can. Like I like I. Like I said, I love hunting and everything, and archery yeah. can really take that time away from hunting everything. Yep. So, like, if I, if I can, I would like to get a buck early. That way I can hunt other things. But when it's archery season, I'm hunting archery with my recurve. Yeah. And, uh, you know, being in school, I haven't been able to scout as many areas as I have been in the past. So I've been, I was hunting the same areas that I was before, but I was seeing bucks. And um, just trying to think back. I think I saw 20 bucks in archery. And of those 20, I think five were a buck out of shot. And then two of them were big bucks. I know the, I believe it was October 30th. I was seeing a bunch of does. I'm like, it was a nice cold night. I'm like, this, this is looking good. And right before dark, I looked some grunt, little grunt sequence. And I heard something crashing behind me. I turned around. Here come down at eight point. It was probably about 140. And he stopped behind me 20 yards. And I thought he was in, there's a trail that comes right beside my tree stand about six yards. It's the same trail I shot my buck on last year with my recurve. I thought he was going to keep coming. He ended up coming down. We had a stare off for about five minutes. And he just didn't see what he liked. He turned around and went back up the hill where he came from, back up to the field. But that was a pretty close encounter. And that was one of the bigger bucks I've seen in Pennsylvania. And then um, later on the season, I had a buck about 120 and another eight point. He come in. It was about 10 o'clock in the morning, and I was like, at that time, I was like, yeah, I'm not, I think I'm about to leave. I didn't see anything at all that morning. I, I got up my stand, and I, I practiced my bow. I threw it back like three or four times, hanging around my tree. Mm-hmm. I just put it up. I was going to take my camera down. And I look up, and here he comes. He did a perfect, like, 35-yard circle around me. And I can only shoot my bow comfortably to, like, I'd shoot, like, 31 yards if I knew the range, like, on the dock because – if you miss range with a real guy shoot by two to three yards, you're going to miss your mark completely. Right. Especially those longer distances. So I, I have to be, I have to guess my yards exactly right from zero to like 31 yards to hit my mark and put a lethal shot on them. Yeah. That's, that is impressive brother. And I, that's why I always just, you know, I always give it up for the trad guys because what they do is, is, you know, it's really, it's a lot of skill and it's a lot of practice, you know, I know. It's a lot of time. It's a, it's a term I call being hungry. Right. You ever heard that term? But mm-hmm. we always, my family's always used it as being hungry, where it's just you're too worried about filling your tag and sending pictures to other guys of the buck you got rather than how you got it. To me, it's more important of how you do things. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like hunting with the recurve and self-filming because I feel like that's the hardest way to do it, and that's how I want to do it. Yeah. Uh, I, would, I would say there's, yeah. It is, man. Especially the self film part, that just the amount of patience it takes to, to get that shot on camera before you're, you know, gonna shoot, and then to have the mental psyche to be able to keep everything together at the same time. 
mm-hmm. is, is it's really hard. It really is. And then also, you know, you got to remember, you got to lug all that stuff in with you. And you might oh yeah, I carry so much stuff in the woods. It's not even funny. Right. My packs. So that can't. I need to upgrade my camera gear a little bit and get some lighter stuff. But right now, you feel my backpack. It's you're like holy crap. Right. Well, man, there's a lot that goes into that aspect. Then you know, then there's physical fitness involved. There's you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into the people aren't seeing just to get just to get you know a a ten second clip of you getting something. <laughs> the kill on camera yeah, exactly. the amount that goes into it is is pretty wild but it's it's definitely it's worth it i think so it really is um, yeah and I, I was fortunate i did i got two does my recurve in archery season the first one i got on october 16th it was a or no october october 24th i got one on talk, october 24th and then a doe on november 16th mm-hmm. the one i got on october 24th was just uh it's actually kind of special because the first deer I ever got the recurve was an eight point. And I got it on October twenty four, October twenty fourth of twenty seventeen, and then seven years later I did I got a deer the same day, and, it, and I got phenomenal footage. A big, alone, mature doe. She come up through bleeding. I thought there was gonna be a buck falling her for sure, but it wasn't. Uh-huh. She came up at the mock scrape my dad had made at this stand, uh-huh. and she gave me about a fourteen yard shot and hit her little back, but she ran about thirty yards, and I have the whole thing on video, nice and crystal clear come out really good now you know that's the second time i heard you say about mock scrapes so do you hunt a lot of mock scrapes uh yeah every stand location that we have we we make a mock scrape yeah i do the same it's, thing I, I, and especially with the the recurve like i comfortably i only want to shoot 15 yards so like the way i know like last year i i didn't get my buck to a rifle and i'll get to that story too but during in the archery my buddy already tagged out and he's every day he's like you know, you need to try this or go here. I'm like, mm-hmm. he doesn't realize that I need to be in a spot where I can guarantee that deer is going to be at like 15 yards. Right. Yep. It's one, I need to come in nice where I can try to film it. And then second off, I need to be a nice, like almost, it has to almost go perfect for the recurve to work. Right. So I have to hunt different spots. I might, I have to, might, like sometimes the spots I have, they're not the best spot, but they're a spot I know if a buck comes through, it's going to be 12. Yeah. So I have to like, risk this and that and weigh my options to try to get that buck to be at about 12 yards yeah it's tough man <laughs> yeah it, just, it, just everything is hard with the recurve that's what that's what makes it so fun for me is just that challenge yeah so do you go in and have like uh preset tree stands and such or you hunt from the ground yeah, or what uh, i started i got a saddle this year and i dabbled into it i didn't really like the saddle i my bow is 66 inches long mm-hmm. so it's really hard to saddle unless they're perfectly right to your left but i dabbled that because i started hunting a little bit more publicly for deer which in the past i really haven't but uh yeah for the most part i go in preseason and i scout out and i i mostly hunt pinch points like uh if you if you go back a few years i had a spot at a land bridge mm-hmm. there was a big group steep ravine that comes through the middle of this big bedding area and there was a, a man-made land bridge i'm guessing for uh cattle way back when and the man did the freaking game use that bridge because they'd come they'd down the ravine 100 yards just to walk across that bridge because it was easy for them. Right. And I ended up getting two bears and a Pope and Young Buck off that bridge. They were all, all three of them standing in the same spot. Yeah, man. I, I watched uh, your video of you shooting that one bear um, a, a while back. I ran across it on YouTube. A couple, it probably would have been, what did you shoot that, like 2020 or something? I got one in 2019. 20. Okay. Yeah. What, which, 
I can't remember if you had both on there, but I can remember watching that video. It's awesome video watching you. Yeah, I was very fortunate. My buddy came. I think it's probably the first one. Was there snow on the ground? Yep. Yep. Yeah, that was. That's definitely the best video I have. My buddy came and filmed it, and I'm very glad that he was there because he got the bear coming the whole way in, and it comes right across that land bridge, uh-huh. and I squeaked to stop it, and I just, I got lucky and put a perfect shot, and he ran about 40 yards, yeah. death line, and uh, the crazy thing about that was I actually hit a bear there. 10 days before there was not a living thing on my trail camera for 10 days. And the one day it was the second, to the last day of bear archery. I went back and I'm like, I oh, gotta give it one more try and just, and locked out big time. Yeah. Well, man, there's luck. And then there's being at the right place at the right time because of calculated decisions. You know what I'm saying? Uh huh. Yeah. So, you know, yes, don't get me wrong. There is luck, but then there's times where you're like, something tells you like, Hey, I scouted there. I knew it was good. I'm going back there and you know, I'm going to make it happen. And then you go in there with that confidence. And for whatever reason, it, it happens sometimes like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, man, that's pretty wild though, brother, you know, for you to, to do that in Pennsylvania and then be killing them with a, with a trad setup, like it's pretty wild. And, and you no, know, my hat's, my hat's definitely, definitely off to you, brother. Yeah. So. I appreciate that. There's a, there's a lot of behind the scenes work with all the extra time that goes in to make that happen for sure. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I, I can attest to that too. Um, so, you know, once, once your archery seasons usually wrap up, man, you know, uh, what, what are you getting into then? Do you, do you like the, the second season for the small game, you know, i.e. pheasants and, um, uh, or do you want to talk about some rifle stories, wherever you want to go with this? I'm, I'm, I'm more than intrigued. So, I'll um, I'll get in, I'll tell my rifle story. Real, I'll be real quick with it, but for the most part, I I well, I've grown up hunting archery my whole life. Like I started hunting archery when I was eight. I got my first archery. Beat. So I've I've most almost all my bucks have been with bow equipment. I started using that with the crossbow when I was young, and then mm-hmm. I did a compound for one year. And then I got into the trad, and I've been doing trad for seven years. And I've been thankful enough that I've a big game animal in all seven years of hunting with a trad bow so far. Yeah, so awesome. I've been doing pretty well for myself. But, uh, yeah, when a rifle comes around, I really dread it. Like, a, when I put that fluorescent orange on in the morning, <laughs> I gag. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's fun. The first day of rifle is always a blast. It's like that camaraderie, camaraderie. and the state hunting. Yep, yep. But also just, like, all the guys out there and all the deer that get killed. It's just, <laughs> like, um. Probably. But uh, I did join the orange <laughs> army this year. And, uh. The first Tuesday, we got nice heavy snow, and we went up pretty deep on in some public land mountain on some public land mountain bucks here, and uh, cut a fresh track and tracked it around for a while. There's a laurel cut, and come up to a tram road, and I seen it crossing the laurel bed. I was like, okay, there's a bed right here, probably somewhere. And right when I thought of that, I seen some brush like move, so I knew a, a deer jumped up and went down. It, like it was like running parallel to the tram road, bend. So I went sprinting around, and here it comes out of the laurel and crossed the tram road. Here was my dad got a glass on. He was with me. He said it was probably about 120, 25-inch, 8 or 10-point. Jumped out, and it stopped for a split second, and I just threw it. And I had to clean this. I was just sick. Mm-hmm. You know, you think of, like, all this practice and stuff and all the time shooting my recurve, and I haven't missed a big game animal in about since 2017. Yeah. And here I am with rifle, and I just missed it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I was I was just sick, and then uh, I you know, I kept pounding it, and uh, it was the second Saturday, I went out and I remember the weather was bad. It was real, 
and I almost didn't even go out that evening because I was just, at that point in the year I was getting sick of it, and I was like, I'd rather just wait. And in years prior that I had, I had to hunt with my with a rifle when I had the recurve, I would take the recurve the whole season. Mm-hmm. So this year I kind of just did, I got away from that. I just like, oh, you know, I'm just going to go and try to fill this buck that I got put enough time in, like I didn't want to fill. And so I sent it home, and it got to be like three thirty, and it gets dark down about five fifteen. I was like. I was like, do I want to go? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go. Like, what, what else am I going to do? Like, if you don't go, you're going to regret it. Right. So I went up. I'm like, I'm going to try this spot. I, I haven't been to this spot in about three years. And because they, they cut it a while back, and I just, it was, like, bare. So I'm like, I'm going to go sit up there and just peek around and see what happens. So I get to the top, and it's, just, it's a pretty big clear cut. But it's, a, it's about two years old now, real thick. But it's just low enough you can see deer across the whole thing. So I peek down over, and there's a spike bedded. He jumps up and runs across. I'm like, okay, well, there's definitely some deer here if he's bedded right there. So I just kind of picked out a tree. I could see the best, and I sat down and lost. And <clears throat> within 25 minutes, I saw four bucks and four does. I'm like, this is insane. And uh, I was watching a big half-rack two-point, about a 250 yards. He was tending a doe. And I heard something real close to me. I looked down, and here there's a five-point marching down through the high golden rods mm. his ears were pinned straight back so i'm like i'm just gonna let him walk to see what he's walking to right and uh you end up walking down to a little three point and this is the second saturday right like my time was running out i didn't really care i just i i put my time in and i was like i'm gonna shoot this five point so he ended up giving me a nice brush i shot shot at about 100 yards 110 and i put it on and i dropped him right in his tracks and i couldn't that was one of the happiest i've ever was with a deer it was about a 35 inch five point mm-hmm. well, but uh yeah, I was just happy. I filled my buck tag in Pennsylvania. Sometimes it's just uh, not all that easy, especially when you get caught up with the recurve and chasing nice bucks, you know. Yeah. It's easy to let a season slip away. But, yeah, I was very thankful to get that buck, and I found a great spot for next year because uh, I stopped hunting it because they cut it all. And here, that clear cut probably is going to make it better. I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, any clear cuts, you know, probably give them four years you know, three to four years, and they they really start producing some really nice deer in them. Um, but you know, like you were saying, that's that's one of them things that kind of sets Pennsylvania apart from a lot of other states. And and what that is is there, there's there's always a time where you need to take a chance and just just do it right because mm-hmm. I know I always say to people, my archery season go by, and like I always get that chance you know, at least one chance and whether or not I, you know, I botch something or I get winded or some, you know, some sort of human error that comes of it that I don't kill an animal in it. You know, I, I got that shot, right. I had the bow back. The deer was 20 to 30 yards, 35 yards. You know, maybe the wind shifted on me, whatever happened that I couldn't get the shot, but I'm always happy if I get that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Kind of just, if I put myself in position to get that and I made an error, no big deal. If Mother Nature said, ah, you know, not today, thermal shift or wind shift or something. Um, or even uh, this past year, my deer got my ground scent. And what it was is I walked down the trail and I was like, ah, you know what? I'm going to walk back to that tree that's 15 yards behind this one because I think I'll be able to see better. Mm-hmm. Well, it just so happened that that deer came right on. All you had to do is take two more steps, but. You know, he hit my ground scent right where I was at. And I knew that I knew that was going to happen when he was coming in. <laughs> it always know? goes like that. Right. It always seems like they just had that sixth sense and they know. Yeah, man. Well, you know, if I was hanging out in your living room, you'd probably know I was there. 
<laughs> that's very true. So, that's yeah, that's very, very true. For sure, man. So um, you know, so the seasons wrap up for you. Um, and you got your meat in the freezer. Uh big game creatures are down, they're dead, they're done. Do you yep. uh you lean in and grab the shotgun then for a second season fun, or what do you what do you usually do going into that time of the year? Um, yeah, you know, I do the fall turkey. That's always a blast. Like yep. really like doing that uh the late season right, right on Thanksgiving okay. for fall turkey. That's always fun. We've got a couple birds on Thanksgiving now, which is that's special to get a turkey on Thanksgiving is very cool. That is cool. Super cool. And then but uh this year we did a lot of pheasant hunting. It's a I've done it before. I do it every year in a little bit. But uh, mm-hmm. I met a good buddy down here at school, and he has a pointer. So we we went out a couple of times, and yeah. man, that was a lot of fun. And with the pointer, it really changed the game because like times I did with dogs, uh, with the kid had flush dogs. Right. You never really know when they're going up. When they we have a good pointer, and they go right to that bird and point it. It's it makes it easy, and that's yeah. that's a lot of fun doing that. It is, man. A uh, good friend of mine, he has them too, and. Uh, there's just something about hunting with dogs and it doesn't matter what you're doing, you know. Um it's just a really close special connection you have of being able to mm-hmm. take creatures, you know, take game like that. I don't know, for me at least, you know, I like rabbit hunting with the boys and all that stuff. But you know, when we when we bring the dogs out and whether you're doing uh, you know, pheasants, a rabbit, um coyote, whatever it is, uh even like my brother and I we were up in Maine and we we treat a bear and shot a bear with dogs. That'd be cool. That'd be that'd be really cool. Oh, that man. or even like mountain lion with the the hounds. That'd be yeah. really cool. Oh man, that's so cool. Yeah, I, I'll have to have my brother on and tell a story. It's so cool, man. We had the bear up the tree, and you know when they get mad, they do that chop that with their gums. Yep. Oh man, yep. it was going nuts. It was it was cool. It was really awesome. Um, yeah, that's an eerie sound when they do that, especially in like a cornfield at night when they're. Yeah. It, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty wild. And it was, you know, when when he shot it, <laughs> it come down and you know, the the guide's yelling like, hey, put another one in and you we're standing there. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, you know, like it's about to go down. Um, but now nah, super, super cool. But yeah, I, I, I love talking, um and, and honestly the uh the, the, the show statistics show very heavily that people really love to hear stories about people hunting with their dogs and I, I get it. I know why. Yeah, there's definitely a special connection between a, a man and their dog, for sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, pheasants, it's a lot of fun. Our state does a pretty good job with that stuff, man. I mean, you know, we have the pheasant tag, tag now, and you can go and, and find some stalk pheasants all over the place. It's so funny yeah. when they stalk in birds, though, man, because they're all over the place. Like, Oh, yeah, it's, it's almost <laughs> – like the day they stalk is almost brutal. Like I don't even really like going the day they stalk because right. it's almost just like a – <laughs> the, the dumb ones get weeded out quick. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, it's fun, but it's pretty bad. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like a genocide out there. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Yeah, right. Um, but they're good, man. They're good to eat. Um, oh, they're delicious. Yeah, I have some really good recipes. I'll have to shoot a couple your way. Uh, because... Yeah, my, my girlfriend made up. Uh, wild turkey is always my favorite. And then my girlfriend introduced me to this new like barbecue bacon wrap to which she has pheasants. And that's by far my i think that's why i hunted so much pheasant just to get meat <laughs> so you're eating good right yeah it's funny yeah for sure um but um do you guys get into doing the rabbit hunting in the second season then yeah we uh we didn't do as much this year as we did last year but uh we've been doing a little bit yeah yeah uh, and, we and i know off. um you know just moving into 
Um, I know that you, you had a very large accomplishment this year and uh, you were able to find one of those white fellers out there. Yeah, that was, that was very cool. That was one of my, uh, I made two goals for myself for the year mm-hmm. for something different was I wanted to get a snowshoe and I, I, I knew that was more reasonable and I wanted to get, try to get trap a bobcat because I'm getting into trapping too. But um, the snowshoe I was able to accomplish and that was very cool. You know, I, I had never seen one before this year the first that's one i got was the first one i've ever seen and i know so we went up we were hunting and we took the, we had a couple of dogs with us and uh we hunted a clear cut in the morning and we got them a couple we never saw them but they ran their circle and hold up and it was it was actually a real small clear cut so they ran a real small circle and hold up. So we weren't sure if they were cotton till or snowshoe but the area we were in i'd be pretty surprised if they weren't snowshoe uh-huh. and we uh we decided we were gonna hit some that was a real fresh cut it was really thick and uh i noticed um kind of like where you find grouse is where you find snowshoe and like that 20 to 25 year old cut range seems to be the best for like the small game Mm -hmm. in my opinion and uh so we started hitting some older clear cuts and we're going down the road and right from the and they stick like a sore thumb the day we went the first day was raining so we saw it sitting out in the woods like holy crap there it is so we pulled off we get the dogs out and they get going and and they instantly get right on him. And my buddy pulled up and shot, and he missed. Or he might have hit a little bit. I'm not really sure. But he shot, and it ran down my way. And I saw it out there. I, I kind of, like, sprinted where I seen it because the thing was fast, too. Like, oh, yeah. they have big feet, and they're big, and they can move. I mean, it's a cotton tail can move, but not like a snowshoe. It was like a white lightning bolt. Mm-hmm. And uh, it ran down, and the dogs were – I just caught, I got an opening. I took a shot real quick, and I had – I made sure I had a uh, – three inch shell on my gun just in case I had to reach out and touch him and I'm glad I did because then I, I rolled the rabbit and went right down yeah and uh, I walked up to it in just disbelief it was uh is kind of like I was just like I've never like I said I've never seen one you can imagine them as goofy but gorgeous it had nice marbling underneath the white fur and I'm gonna get it mounted so it should turn out to be a really cool mount yeah it's definitely worth getting mounted especially PA um you know we go up to um and my dad has a very close friend that lives up in Maine and uh, <clears throat> sometimes in March we'll go up and we'll be able to hunt them. And I've got to be lucky enough to kill a couple of them. And they are, man, there's so much, you know, you wouldn't think they're that different, but like you said, you know, your buddy might've hit it. And, you know, when you're talking about a cottontail rabbit, it, one BB can kill it pretty easily. Uh-huh. Those they're tough. They're not, the hairs are tough. It, it takes a little bit to kill them. You know why? Yeah. I know. Even when I got up, I mean, it was pretty much dead, but it was definitely getting hit with a three-inch shell right. of a 20-gauge. It, yeah, it, it was definitely a tough critter. I mean, they got to be tough to survive, Yeah, especially in Pennsylvania anymore with the way the winters are and mm-hmm. the fact that they don't hold up or anything. Yeah, they just molt and they live on top. The, on top yeah. Of the, yeah. Yeah, they're they're a whole different, really a whole different animal. I mean, yeah, you know, when it comes to dogs and everything, they're going to run them the same way. And they, they do run, you know, circles just like other rabbits, but... Um, talking about if you got a buck, you, you, they, they could run two, three miles, four miles circles, uh-huh. you know, they're, they're a whole different, different animal when it comes to that stuff. But that's awesome, man. That's, that is such a large accomplishment in our state. And, um, you know, uh, when you know where, when, where to find them, you don't ever tell anybody where they're yeah, at. You def- yeah, you keep <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a very elusive critter it's almost like a the pennsylvania unicorn in a way yeah it is man uh, it's unfortunate that it is that way but uh you know it goes right back to what we were talking about before and um 
you know, thank God we have the predator guys that we have out there because uh, we need them. Honest to God, you need them. Yep. Um, you know, the the ecosystem is what it is, but we don't help whenever we decide we're going to stalk more predators. and Yeah, um, exactly. Or, you know, not even stalk them. You just look at the way that the coyotes are able to breed. It's wild. It is wild how fast they can breed. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know how hard they are to kill on top of that. Unless you have yeah, dogs. They're, they're smart. You got, if you want the upper hand on them, you know, and you got some, some people that know what they're doing and you get some good houndsmen out there, you know, going after them with dogs is a lot of fun. And you just, you know, for those of you that are listening that don't let the dog guys on your property to run the coyotes, you guys need to open your doors and let the, let the boys come through and run them through there. Cause, um, they can get them, they can get them. But you know what them guys run into a lot is a lot of private property and guys don't want them in there. I mean, yeah, you're right. You know, I, I, I get it. I have a lot of private property, but at the same time, you know, if you want to come through and run coyotes, you're, Come on, bring it, you know, run them. Yeah, so. you definitely need the guys with the dogs running those predators. So they really, that seems like the way, the really the way to go if you want to get a coyote or a bobcat or something with dogs. Yeah, so cool, man, the, the, the bobcat thing, <clears throat> being able to run them with a dog and get them, you know, that just reminds me of like a miniature version of, of being out west on a on a big kitty, you know what I mean? Uh-huh, yep. So, um, but you know, man, you've lived in Pennsylvania for, you know, your whole life and you know, the culture, you've seen enough to, to have a, a good voice. And what, what are some things that you really love that we do in this state? And it doesn't have to be hunting. It doesn't have to be fishing. You know, I mean, that's, that's the road that we're on and that's the conversation we're having, but what are some things that you really like? Right. And on the flip side of that, what are some things that you'd like to step back and say, Hey man, I'd like to bring this to everybody's attention and maybe this is something we can look at changing. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely, I think Pennsylvania does a really good job with their youth programs, uh, getting kids out there. Cause I know like my dad and grandpa, they weren't allowed to hunt. They were 12 and yeah. I wasn't allowed to hunt till they changed the law when I was five going on six. So I wasn't allowed to hunt at all my first five years of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I could maybe see like an age lower than 12. Cause I, I got my first Turkey when I was six and my first buck when I was seven. Right. So I was more than capable, but I think, uh, do that. Like the youth days and stuff they have, like a youth hunt a week before the season up to their 16 years old. Like I, I think that's a pretty good program they have going on to get youth introduced mm-hmm. into the sport of hunting. But, um, some things I, I could see changing is, uh, the one thing I don't like is the bear muzzleloader. They, uh, bear population was, was definitely getting too high and needed regulated and the muzzleloader season 100% did that. But uh, they, I think when they brought that bear muzzleloader season, it was 2019. Mm-hmm. And then they, 2019, 2020, 21, and 22, went, it was like the bear harvest, I believe. And this past year was one of the record lows. And I think that bear muzzleloader, I think it did the trick of leveling up the population, but I think we need to get rid of it and just go just straight archery and your four days of rifle. Yeah. I think it's uh, just doing too much damage because if you can p- find a bear in October, you're more than likely going to be able to, especially if you can shoot a hundred yards. Right. So that's something I think I'd like to see. That's something I definitely like to see change. I think they should get rid of that bear muzzle loader until that population re-rises up or something like that. And also I, I think they just gave out too many doe tags in the state of Pennsylvania, which I don't know the numbers behind that too much. It just, I know like I hunt like two E area for deer. Uh-huh. And they're giving out. I can't remember what the number was. It was insane amount of doe tags they're giving out for 
CWD regulation, which I'm not too keen behind all that either. I think that's kind of a hoax. I don't think he's doing anything to deer population like they say it is. But Well, you know, just, I'll just let you in on a quick fact about CWD. I've killed more deer than CWD. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> I can get behind that for sure. Oh, I don't want to bark up that tree. If we do bark up that tree ever and really get into that conversation, I'll have to get somebody on that that is way more that educated. Statistics and numbers. Yeah, right. I'm a big statistic. I'm a big numbers guy. I love reading statistics and stuff like that. So that's why I didn't want to say too much because I don't know the numbers. But yeah. I don't, I don't know about all that. Well, I mean, all all it comes down to in that topic is what I said is true. There's no, you know, they can't prove that a deer had CWD until it's dead, which is wild. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so just just that, just knowing that alone, is kind of like you know. Now, as far as all the conspiracy, you know, this that, I will tell you one thing that's for sure is there's a lot of money that flows whenever that's brought up. So, I mean, it's not by accident that sometimes you know that word is used in certain situations, and the funding that comes from the government, the federal government, into that stuff, and the state governments into that stuff. Is, uh -huh. It's a lot. Um, so you know, I mean. Maybe maybe that word's used as a gateway to get money for something that's going to good use. You don't know. You don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, but you were saying um, the doe tags. Yeah, man. Um, pretty, It's pretty wild. That, that I think even into the second season there, you could still go over the counter and buy 2E. Um, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that either because, yeah, I also hunt 2E. I hunt 2E and 4D for the most part. And, um, mm -hmm. yeah, they're both like that. We're in, I'm in a heavy CWD zone and, you know, not to bring up the CWD thing again, but you know, where I live, if the deer crosses the road, then it's not a CWD deer anymore. You know, I, I guess that the ones that have it, they're, they don't cross the road. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, I would say, you know, right. So yeah, it's one of them things. I get it. You know, you have borders, all that stuff. Um, I don't think just killing a bunch of deer is the way that you go about CWD. Um, but at the same time. I'm all for whatever makes us have the great bucks that we're making because we are making some very, very good-looking yeah. mature animals in our state. We're made leaps and bounds, and it's, you know, it is most definitely a lot to do with the antler restrictions for sure. Yeah, the antler restrictions 100% why that works for sure. And the fact that they even talk about removing the antler crazy in my mind. Yeah. You'd just go back to how it was in the 80s whenever my dad and grandpa were hunting together still. And they're shooting a four-point, and that was one of the nicest bucks in town. Oh, man, march it around town because, look, at I just, they shot a buck, right? Yep. Yeah, pretty wild stories, you know. I mean, my pap tells me the same things, and I love listening to them old guys talk, man. They, they have the coolest stories, and you see those pictures, and it's wild. Like, next time you're looking at old pictures, look and see. There ain't no freaking trees in these pictures. They just freaking nope. strip mined everything. Like, yep. <laughs> they just cut all these trees. Like, I can't imagine the winds and and stuff back then. And you know, um, you were talking about up north, and you know, there's some stories about up north to where they they killed the deer so bad they had to reintroduce the deer. I didn't know that, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I'll have to send you some stuff. Um, I know some people that live up up that way just above cross forks and they have some really cool stories from that area yeah there's i'll have one more thing before we end here but there, there's a story the camp beside mine in cross fork has a book log for everyone that's ever been there since like the 1920s and there was a group of guys that stayed there back in roughly the 1920s maybe 1930s they tracked and shot the last wolf 
in Pennsylvania, maybe even East Mississippi. I know it was definitely in Pennsylvania. Back from that camp in Cross Fork in like the 1920s, they shot and killed it from that camp. Yeah, that's cool, man. That's that is some really cool stuff. Um, yeah, there's just yeah, a lot of history in Pennsylvania hunting, and it's very very cool to look back on. Yeah, I mean it's it's the heritage. You know, that's why this show does so well, and that's why people listen to it, and that's why they want to hear from people of Pennsylvania because, believe it or not, Pennsylvania has very prideful people, and they they take a lot of pride in their state. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, at least I do. I love living here. I know. Here. I'd argue with anybody that the best hunters come out of Pennsylvania. I We will go toe-to-toe with anybody, and then there's the flip side because we'll grab our fishing rod, and we're going to outfish you then too. <laughs> absolutely you know what i mean i mean we might not we might not, yeah man we might not have the best bass fishermen in america you know because a lot of other places have better warm water and stuff than us but i'll tell you what you want to go out on mountain streams and you want to go toe-to-toe with the with the pennsylvania boys you better know what you're doing because yeah exactly i mean we have a re- really good waterways you know um and can you imagine if the, all of our waterways if you took all the pollution out of our waterways we would I, I don't know that we wouldn't be top three in fishing. Yeah, there's a uh, around I know you like around because I, I like going up. I have the camps up north, so obviously I like going north. But in my opinion, like the northern like Potter County streams uh, are just nicer to fish it. Yeah, I know if you go around like Central PA and the, like the Belfont area, like the Spring Creek and Juniata, mm-hmm. you catch a lot of fish and you catch wild fish. But when you're fishing there, you have a highway beside you, and you can barely hear yourself think compared to fishing up north, where all you hear is just birds chirping and the riffle. Mm-hmm. but I, even around home there, there's probably five or six streams that are very fishable but they're bright orange you know what i mean like yeah those if those were cleaned and yep. pro- more properly taken care of back then there could be a ton and ton of more trout streams there's already quite a few yeah. but there could really be a lot yeah it's i mean the area i live in is the same man like there's there's a there's a waterway that's i mean it's perfect for for brook trout and unfortunately like, I mean, it's just a snake the whole way down, and it just has so much undercut and mountain lore around it. Every time you're around it, you're th- you just can't help but think, oh, my God. You know, like, the amount of brook trout that I should be pulling out of this is – but, you know, it is what it is. And, um, like I said, I, I never dog anything that has to do with coal. If it wasn't for coal, I, my family probably wouldn't even be around. I probably wouldn't be alive. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my family has such a heritage in the mining and everything. But – uh, you know, I, I, it just sucks that some of the people that were out before didn't clean up the shit that they were doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just don't think they knew better. No, you know? no. And I think you're right. They, they didn't think about the future then. Right. And, and you know what I mean? I, I get it to a degree. I just wish that we could go in and clean up some stuff, you know, like then let's start some sort of big fun for, for bringing in lots of limestone slurry and stuff like that and trying to fix up what we have. But yeah um down the road man uh maybe somebody has a pile of money and they come and do that stuff but until then you know i'll just keep chasing blue lines and finding the ones that aren't marked you know what i mean that's just as fun too though yeah that's what i like to do and when i find them streams and i tear into a seven inch brook trout i i'm giddy you know i'm like it's like christmas morning for me so Mm -hmm. um but hey man you know it's been great having you on you know, we, we definitely want to catch up with you later in the year at some point. Me and you were talking about maybe getting together and, and doing something cool for the show here later this year. But Yeah, I'm absolutely down for that. I'll, uh, yeah, definitely keep me in loop for that, and let's definitely try to do that. Yeah, yeah, I'm all for that. But, you know, before you go, man, uh, tell everybody where they can find you, uh, like you were talking about there in the beginning, and um, and how they can get a hold of you. Um, 
yeah, I have a yeah, I have Instagram as a Gage Galvis. You just look me up, I'll be there. And then you can get my have my YouTube channel. You can get on Hardwoods Hunting TV on YouTube and Instagram account for my YouTube channel as well. So Instagram, YouTube, leave a comment, send me a DM. I'm, I'll respond back within the day for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm pretty easy guy to get a hold of if you want to talk. And I want to BS about hunting. I'm all ears. I love it. <laughs> I feel it, man. All day long. I feel it. So, well, thank you, brother. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, you know, it's been great having you. And um, well, Thank you. It's a, it a very big honor. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We will talk to you soon. Keep up with your journey. Tight lines and good blood trails, man. You as well. Ladies and gentlemen, you have finished another episode of the Keystone Chronicles podcast. What a great episode, Gage, man, coming through. That was awesome. Really, really enjoyed uh, some of the stories he has. Man, he's always on an adventure. Oh, I'm like so jealous. Um, <laughs> like to live vicariously through him. But guys, if you enjoy this show and you know somebody who you think needs to be on here, please reach out to me. I can only find so many guests on my own and uh, be recommended by so many people on the social media platforms. But you know and I know that there are plenty of individuals here in our great state of Pennsylvania that are hiding out from me. (laughs) You know, they may be older or they may just not like the social media presence. Shoot them my way, guys. Get down and uh, sit with them and get some thoughts from them and some knowledge and That's exactly what this is all about. So, guys, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon.